Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep Singh and with me today is Trend Micro's COO and President of North America, Kevin Simser. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mandy. Great to be here. Great. So, look, I mean, everyone in this space knows about Trend Micro. You guys have been around for over three decades, and you've seen, you know, these evolutions in the security arena, which, I mean, having covered this industry for over 10 years, I know this piece keeps evolving. You have, you know, a new vector every now and then, then there'll be a new company that comes out and says, they have found a better way to protect that vulnerability point. So from your lens, like how would you even think about all the vulnerabilities that you have to incorporate in your software and your releases? And how, how do you go about those decisions internally? You know, I can't help but think that, you know, one of the, one of the amazing things of being a trend one is we have over 3,000 people in engineering alone. We're 7,000 people strong, but over 3,000 people in engineering. And we actually think in terms of uh, we're, we're myopically fixated on the hacker themselves, the threat actors, the adversaries. We don't spend as much time, perhaps, as others on what the competition is up to. We think of the hacker as the competition. So we often try to think about the big infrastructure changes that are going on, and that creates wonderful opportunity for us all to innovate, but it also creates an opportunity for the bad guys because they're going to jump in and also look to exploit that. So. We feel like we've done a nice job of, of, of watching infrastructure changes unfold. One of the biggest ones that we, gosh, we started investing, Mandeep, in the cloud uh, literally 12 years ago. So I can still remember going to the first AWS reInvent conference and everybody was surprised to see us there, but we recognized that the cloud was going to be a big infrastructure change. It was going to be embraced, but it was also going to be an opportunity for the bad guys. So we, we felt like we needed to be there. So we look for infrastructure changes. The second thing that we look for is, you know, what sort of things are going on from a user behavior standpoint? Think remote work and what we've gone through through the pandemic and this big shift that everybody made to being 100% working remote. That's created a whole different paradigm for work from home. And then finally, we look at the threat landscape and, you know, what's going on from techniques and tools that are being used and following what hackers are doing. So we take all three of those and we throw it into our, what we think is a crystal ball and out pops, you know, what we think we need to be investing in. So, you know, I think that's, that's been our formula for driving innovation a trend and and staying one step ahead of what the threat actors are up to. And so just on that point, I mean, look, I, I think 
to me, every security vendor has somewhat of a black box. They say their AI is better, their efficacy is better when it comes to detecting some of these attacks and, you know, preventing the bad actors from breaching the systems. Like when you go to RFP at customers, what does it take to win that deal? And how is the customer evaluating you guys? Maybe you can talk about, you know, just the process and, and what helps you win those deals. It's, it's insightful because we all know cybersecurity. I, I call it crowded or noisy. It's a noisy space because there has been so much venture capital funding that has been plowed in. Some, some numbers I've read are there are about 5,000 cybersecurity companies that legitimately have a presence and a website and, and whatnot. And there's a few of us that are, you know, sort of the, the giants within the industry. And uh, we're real proud of the fact that, you know, where others have run and hide, hid inside private equity or, you know, actually moved off the face of the earth, you know, we've been thriving and growing at double digits. And one of the things that we think is the most compelling is the fact that we are so global. So, you know, many, many of the people that we come up against can't, uh, can't get anywhere near to the amount of data that we can ingest because we have 500,000 commercial customers that are in, you know, over 100 different countries from around the globe. So maybe unlike some of the other companies where they have a U.S. priority and they might have an international division. We actually do business fairly balanced across the globe. So when we divide the globe up into our four regions, actually 25% of our business comes equally from all four of the regions across the globe. So that gives us a very unique point of view in terms of what are the threat actors up to and where are they and what are they doing? The second thing because we don't focus in on features and functions. But the second thing that we find interesting is there's no question software as a service is, is eating, you know, software. It's eating the world. So there's no question. But we've adopted the approach of SaaS first, not SaaS only. We sell to a lot of regulated industries. We sell to a lot of governments. We sell to a lot of businesses in countries where SaaS adoption just is not there just yet. They say yes, but not now. And our hybrid approach of supporting both an on-premise offering and a SaaS offering and putting you on a journey where you can start and upgrade towards our SaaS offering, that's actually quite compelling for many of the customers that we have. So that's, that's, you know, Another way that we've really been able to look a lot different than maybe some of the other folks that are out there. You won't see that from a CrowdStrike firm, for example. So it's not about proving, okay, we detect 99.99% of the vulnerabilities out there. That's why we are better. And the other competitor only does 97%. And that was probably the case back in the day when signature-based, you know, Software was the primary kind of way of catching malware and those, those kind of 
attacks, but now that techniques have become more sophisticated, attacks have become more sophisticated, I guess things have evolved and now proving efficacy is also very hard. So wondering if you have anything to comment on that. Well, I think you, you nailed it quite aptly. And look, if, if you're any sort of large, strong cybersecurity company, you're going to adopt, you're going to have already adopted some of the major techniques that you already listed, listed. We all have powerful AI machine learning. We all continue to, you know, have a, have a powerful basket of tools. So it doesn't tend to be an efficacy discussion anymore. It's really about some of these other more higher value oriented capabilities that you're bringing to the table. And yeah, that, that's, that's okay. definitely what, what we see more than often. Okay. And, and you mentioned that, you know, SaaS is clearly where things are shifting towards. I mean, I've also spoken to folks, you know, who still believe that hardware, custom ASICs, FPGAs is the way to, you know, differentiate your security versus other vendors. So you still think hardware can be a differentiating factor when it comes to cybersecurity? I think it's one of the elements, Mandeep. Yes. So, but I'll tell you how, because I think, again, it's another area where we're somewhat unique. I, you know, I, I see security vendors that, that have certain features that look compelling or maybe some products even, but from a platform perspective, we are definitely taking the approach of, we believe more data is better and we vacuum up data and grab telemetry from a variety of sources. And that includes traditional endpoints. It includes servers and, and cloud instances and containers. It also includes email, but it also includes the networking environment. And we're one of the few vendors that actually have points of presence in all of those areas. And we find that, yeah, on the network, it is in fact compelling to have a sensor that sits there that is, you know, the fastest in the market and that can provide that telemetry into our XDR console. And it's one of the, one of the things that we like to talk to our security security operations center buyers about is, is making sure that they actually think of their entire infrastructure whenever they're deploying XDR, because that's truly where you can vacuum up the most amount of data. I think we're, we're beyond, you know, worrying about speeds and feeds, but actually having something that's a, truly a network sensor out there, I think is a compelling value proposition that customers ought to be thinking about. Yes. So when you say security operations center, I mean, is that something that customers only need to deploy with Trend Micro or they need to have like an ecosystem or some sort of like you, you need to have partnerships to enable that so Wondering how, how do you go about even deploying a security operations center? Because my understanding is you guys are only doing endpoint, but then someone else is doing same identity and all those other kind of vectors. And, and so in a SOC, you have to bring everything together, right? Right. So yeah, what we typically see in the, 
larger enterprises that we do business with. And by the way, two thirds of our business comes from enterprise. So it's a big chunk of our $2 billion in sales. So enterprises is big for us. And as we end up talking to customers, many of them already have a security operations center, or they have chosen to outsource the security operations center to a trusted third party. Either way, they're either doing it themselves or they have one already. And what we would be talking about there is our, our platform needs to graft in really natively into their security operations center. And we're one of the bigger, bigger platforms that allow the security operations center to be far more effective because we do have an endpoint view of the world. We have a network view of the world. We have a data center and cloud view of the world. So we're able to actually give a very unified, comprehensive bit of, uh, of, of insight for the security operations center. Time is the most important thing for a secure, for analysts sitting in a sock. And, uh, you know, if you can point them to the most probable area that they should be focused on, that's the most powerful thing you can do for them. So that's where the vendor capabilities come into play, whether vendor A can rank those alerts in the most efficient way for an analyst to look at or the other guy is doing a better job at it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And the other big kind of discussion in the market is around protecting endpoints versus workloads. Workloads is becoming a bigger deal with this, you know, pivot to public cloud and containers and smaller instances. Wondering if you guys have, you know, kind of focused on workloads or is it still endpoints for you? And, and just how are you thinking about the workload opportunity overall? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, yeah, one, one of the things I, I, I talked about our crystal ball and I was so amazed that when I joined Trend 12 years ago, how the team was already thinking about cloud. This is 12 years ago when the cloud was really just getting started and we were starting to show up and partner with AWS at the time. So we have been investing in, in the cloud for a while. And uh, it's paid off handsomely because, you know, we've been one of the ones that have really helped companies like AWS to grow. And, and, you know, we know that many, many people who are looking at moving an application to the cloud or building it, they security comes up. So, you know, what are they going to do? IDC recently published a report and, you know, we continue to be the number one in terms of market share for protecting workloads in the cloud. In fact, um, if you sum up the next three vendors behind us, it's still less than what we do in, in business. So cloud is, is, you know, one of our major growth engines. So it's been a fantastic, a fantastic way for us to land in, in new customers and expand with our existing ones. But let me play devil's advocate here. So I know AWS is the hosting infrastructure for public cloud and so is Microsoft Azure. But these guys are also, you know, constantly securing their infrastructure, offering native security 
do you think there will come a point where customers would be like, why am I paying separately for security when the cloud infrastructure that I'm using is secure and there is native security for all the workloads? Why do I need to pay separately? Yeah. You know, I, I guess that's a crystal ball view of the world that I don't see. You know, I see AWS, I see AWS and their shared security responsibility model being crystal clear. They, they have a view that, Hey, we've got the infrastructure, but Mr. or Mrs. Customer, you need to take care of your application. And that's where we step in. And that's where the marriage between us and AWS has been so successful. And now we're doing it for Azure and we're doing it for GCP. We're, we're, we're gradually just methodically going through and making sure that we're addressing this riddle of, well, what am I doing from a building in security for my application in the cloud? So, you know, we definitely see it to be a big space and, and continuing to grow. It has been our big growth engine and we're foreseeing that it will continue to be. I probably think Microsoft doesn't think that way because they, I mean, they claim they have over $10 billion in security revenue and obviously they are bundling their Defender and all their products in their cloud suite. Yeah, yeah it's hard. It is hard to figure out exactly what Microsoft is doing because of their bundling approach. There's no question that Microsoft is wading more heavily into cybersecurity. That's without a doubt. But I'll tell you, Mandeep, that the customers that I end up talking to, you know, these enterprise customers, they're like ourselves where we have adopted a multi-cloud approach. We still have, actually, let me take it even further. We still have some applications running in a physical data center. We have most of our applications running in the public cloud and we split them across AWS and Azure, okay? Because we don't want to be tied into just one cloud provider necessarily, right? And sometimes certain cloud providers offer unique sets of tools that are compelling. So we have a data center, AWS and Azure. If you want to put a security infrastructure in place and you're building it with a bunch of, you know, raw native tools in each one of those places, imagine how hard that's going to be to get a unified view where you can come to trend and you can adopt our single unified platform and we cover it all in one offering. So, you know, for the amount of money that we're talking about relative to your cloud spend, it's it's an easy choice for them. So we don't tend to lose to those folks, to, you know, cloud providers. That that doesn't tend to be the path they're on. But you could be growing faster had they not been competing in this space, right? So uh, they're... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would prefer, you know, not to get too salacious, but yeah. we, we own a, you know, we, we run the zero-day initiative vulnerability and yeah. most of the vulnerabilities we end up finding are in Microsoft. And, right. you know, I would prefer to not have Microsoft be generating the vulnerabilities, but, and also selling a security. Uh, exactly. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's somewhat odd, right? But hey, yeah. it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I do want to pivot to talent because I mean, look, you guys have been around for three decades and the talent needed for this sort of, you know, analysis, building products for cybersecurity, I'm guessing has 
change in terms of the skill set needed or, you know, just the, the back-end programming work that's required, both in terms of detecting these attacks and, and then preventing them. So wondering from your lens, what is it about the talent that you see right now versus where it was historically? Yeah, you know, there's no question this, you, you know, what, what people read about in terms of a shortage of skill set in cybersecurity overall, that's not a myth. That's a real, that, that is a real thing. And, you know, I feel kind of fortunate because we have a big brand, we have a great reputation and, you know, we've hired a thousand people in the last year. So, you know, I feel like we're one of the more fortunate ones where we are, are able, I, I do empathize with some of the, maybe some of the channel partners or some of the customers that are having a much more acute problem. But one of the things that we're doing, because we're also trying to get innovative and, and we created around the, around the globe, we have them in four different regions. Now we have cybersecurity training centers and literally we are recruiting early career folks with some good, you know, just sort of talent, but it's, it's raw. And we are, we are sort of sharpening that raw talent. We are introducing them through a six month program into all things, cybersecurity, and we don't offer them all jobs. We actually hire half of them full time. And the other half of them, we help to place in our customers and in our channel ecosystem. So, so, you know, we, we believe that this cybersecurity initiative, this market that we have so enjoyed being part of that, you know, there's ways for us to on-ramp even more people. Are you having more success outside the U.S. though, in terms of finding talent? Well, we have a center in the U.S. We have a center in Brazil. We have a center in Cairo, Egypt, Cairo, where we do very well. And that's been fueling much of our Middle East. The Middle East is a very big geography for us. That center we have in Cairo has been very big. And then we have one in in India, in Bangalore. So, you know, we're placing the centers where we need the people the most. And uh, that's what has been helpful for us. And uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was around the sharing of data, threat data between cybersecurity vendors. Is that something that you find is happening more or less? Just any thoughts around it? Yeah, it it happens. You know, we were involved in a number of consortiums. So, you know, one of the things I guess about cybersecurity professionals is we like to talk to one another. So we are involved in, in a number of different whether it's the, you know, something more U.S. policy oriented, like the Business Software Alliance down to, you know, some other consortiums, we have threat, threat intelligence data. We don't like to monetize it. So that's just some companies choose to monetize that. And that's just not the path we go down. We are a platform company and we sell our capabilities by licensing our platform and in either an on-premise or SaaS mode. That said, we do have relationships, you know, with the other larger folks. And we do, in fact, you, you know, share with other security practitioners, including competitors, 
because we all are in this to stop the adversaries, the bad guys. So there is. Yeah, that's that. That's the reason why I ask you this. Is in a perfect world, if we were able to pull the threat databases of all the vendors and leverage AI and machine learning on that, wouldn't the effectiveness of you know AI grow because you have got more training data and you know you're basically pulling all that information from different vendors as opposed to these companies building it on their own. And, yeah, there's, yeah. well, there's no question that, you know, the way these algorithms work, the more data, the better. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Good luck trying to get all of those <laughs> together and, and, uh, you know, sort of pooling all of that together. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to start it, we'll be a member, but. There you go. Yeah. Well, I, I, it won't be a profitable business anymore. So. Okay, let, let me pivot to some of the rapid-fire questions that I like to ask to all of my guests. So, who is your biggest competitor? Gosh, you know, I would say, I, I was, I, I, I guess I have to say CrowdStrike only because, you know, I saw a TV interview with George Kurtz two, two weeks ago. And he called us out. So I guess I need to call him out in order to reciprocate, you know? Yeah, there's no question that we probably see them, you know, more than the rest, um, you know, just with our broad coverage, you know, mainly in the U S they're, they're largely a U.S. company. We, we don't really see them too, too much outside the U S they're very geographically specific right now. We don't. We haven't seen them too, too much outside, but definitely in the U.S. we see them. What do you think will be discretionary versus non-discretionary spend in cybersecurity in a case of a slowdown or a recession? You know, a number of people have asked me this, and honestly, I feel like cybersecurity is one of those industries that we're really fortunate to be in. I I happen to have been in it for a very long time, three decades now, you know, so I've experienced the ups and downs and sure there's going to be some, some of our customers and some of our prospects, which might tighten their belts and whatnot, but I consider it largely recession proof. Like at the end of the day, the, the damage to somebody's brand, it's not the type of thing where it's discretionary and I'm just going to turn it off. I'm not just going to you know, where I can, I can stop hiring or I can stop traveling or I can, you know, stop doing certain things. They're not going to stop around cybersecurity. The, the implications are way too high. So sure. Will there be some belt tightening with some customers? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think so, but cybersecurity is largely recession proof. But you probably don't need two or three SIM vendors, two or three, you know, vulnerability assessment, email security vendors. So you, you could see some consolidation there, right? Yeah. That's where I was going to go with whenever you teed it up that way. You know, I think that like at the end of the day, sure. Cybersecurity budgets have gotten bigger because, you know, sort of corresponding to the growth in the, and the presence of, a, of attackers and, and t- different techniques, but yes, cybersecurity spending has gotten bigger. You know, there always should be a rationalization. We do see quite often the consolidation of vendors question coming up, you know, do I need to have all these different security tools? And if things evolve to the point 
And it's one of the things that the story we want to tell is, hey, we've got a single platform and, you know, you don't need that file integrity monitoring vendor anymore. We have that built into the platform. It's, it's a feature. You don't need this anymore. It's a feature in our platform. So consolidation of vendor can, in fact, consolidation of vendors can, in fact, be a, a nice way for CISOs and CIOs to rationalize their budgets. Are you guys in the market to acquire any product capability? Mm, we're always, we're always looking, Mandy. We're always looking. And because we have, you know, a healthy balance sheet of a couple of billion dollars in cash and no debt and, and growing, everybody wants to pitch to us. And I'll tell you, I listen to everyone because it's a really good way of understanding how a market is unfolding. We're always looking. We, we like to do one tuck-in technology tuck-in a year and uh, but valuations for private companies got completely out of control yeah we've, we've seen some of the public valuations reset although we're trading at all almost all-time highs but some of the other folks their valuations have have reset dramatically and uh, we're looking for that to bleed over into the private you know so once they start talking about some more realistic valuations, we will definitely, you know, want to, want to be more app active on the lookout, but there needs to be a, a bit of a right sizing that needs yeah. to happen. So there's got to be, happened yet. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a massive consolidation because at yeah. the end of the day, you know, 5,000 companies, there's only so many of us that can be on the acquisition side. Yeah. There's only so many companies that are going to break forward, break free and be, be something more than a feature. Most mm. of these companies are just a feature. So. Yeah. Great. And so maybe, I mean, right now we are probably looking to a downturn and slow down, but is there a technology or a trend that you are excited about over the next two to three years? Well, I would, I would go back and, you know, definitely I believe our SaaS first strategy. There's no question. And like I said, we're a very global provider. I think it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And more and more companies adopting a unified cybersecurity platform that's SaaS based. So I, I think that's definitely good. We've, we've got our, you know, some irons in the fire though, some areas that we're kind of interested in. The one is around sort of in the OT space. We, we, we have a division that's actually doing quite well right now and selling to a lot of companies with smart factories and, and so uh, OT and OT meets IT is very interesting to us and that's more telemetry for us to vacuum up. And so that's actually quite an interesting space. We've recently actually made a fairly big allocation of some people. In the EV car space, we've been, we've been doing, you know, a lot of research in the security platforms in EV cars. And that's an area that is very interesting to us. And we've, we've, we've got a kind of a large team now that's pretty focused in on that and, and getting excited about, we've got a couple of burgeoning partnerships. We think that could be an interesting space. So those are just a couple of areas that are interesting. So you didn't mention metaverse, AR, VR, that's 
we have, you know, like anybody else, yeah. we have our small teams actually okay. looking at some of that stuff. It's kind of intriguing to me because I, I am spending a little bit of time in the, in the metaverse space and, and NFT space with another project I'm working on, but we'll, we'll see how that unfolds, but sure. Yeah. It's one of the maybe smaller irons we have in the fire right now. Great. And then lastly, on the rapid fire, any misconceptions about trend that you want to clear on this podcast? Yeah. You know, I guess. The one myth that I think everybody's got to realize is that there are no silver bullets out there. So the, you know, the companies that love to step forward and talk about them having something unique, I'm telling you, you know, we have been around for three decades. We haven't been sleeping. We have over 3000 people in engineering. We are constantly thinking about what's new. And for, I, I find it, you know, almost laughable, some of these companies that appear and think, oh, you know, we're doing it new. You weren't able to. There's, there's nothing new that's coming out that we haven't, you know, sort of already either considered or have underway, or maybe, maybe we've actually figured out that it's not a good idea and we've moved on. So that's just the reality, just because our position and, and the numbers that we have on it. So that, that's a myth, you know, I, I get frustrated. I'm a security practitioner, Andy. I yeah. truly am. I care about fighting bad guys. That's, that's what I want to do. And I know in order to fight bad guys, I do have to compete in a market. I totally get that. I would prefer customers be the ones to choose, you know, test drive our product. That's what we do. We don't spend a ton of money in market. Like I see some of these companies. I go to the RSA conference and I see these companies that have, you know, 50 people and they're making less than a million dollars a year and they spend a million dollars on a trade show. Like it, it just shocks me that people will do that. Right. So, you know, I find some of that stuff dis disingenuous from a security standpoint and it, it troubles me. I wish CrowdStrike would just focus in on their platform and not, you know, not be fixated on us in their interviews, you know, like why, like, let's the, let the customers decide. I'm happy to have our platform up against theirs any day and we'll let the customers decide. No problem. Right. And, and that's a perfect segue into my last question. Thank you so much for your time again. So is there a notion of a moat in cybersecurity? And if yes, like how long is that moat sustainable in, in your view? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have, what I've defined as a moat and it's maybe others have different ones. I can just give you my point of view. Yep. On it. And, you know, one of the things I feel like, because we have 500,000 customers, you know, one of the things that I see our customers asking us for is a little bit more around services. So we have introduced some MD, a full blown MDR offering. We have introduced some sort of, I got your back IR services and, uh, you know, we're not, we're not trying to compete with larger IR vendors, but there's a lot of vendors that actually would just like to know, Hey, I'm not sure if I, I just need somebody to call and to get some help. And, and I think that, you know, there's a package of security services that we are offering up where it helps to keep the customer healthy. It, it helps to actually really, really 
make sure that the customer feels compelled not to change. And I feel that's our definition of a, a, of a moat. That's of course, in addition to with XDR and us being, you know, a market leader, we're vacuuming up all this data. We're storing it for a long period of time. Customers are, they're going to stick with us, you know, because they don't want to lose access to that. They love that they've got the mm -hmm. platform and the data. So I think with the SaaS platform plus these services, I think that represents a moat around our $2 billion business. So that's, that's the area that we're wading into. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your time. You have been very generous. This has been wonderful. And I hope we can do this again at some point in the future. All the very best. Going I forward. would like that. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks all.